The uh, story of Saul's conversion, who we later know is the Apostle Paul, is one of the most dynamic found in Scripture. I know there's a lot of powerful testimonies, but Saul's is pretty uh, powerful in and of itself. Saul, a man who had stood by and watched as Stephen, the first martyr, was stoned to death, he continued after that to take the fight to the Christians of his day. He was raised in the Jewish religious system, and he saw Christianity and its followers as something to be quickly and harshly eradicated and destroyed. So on his way to Damascus, uh, he was going to imprison and persecute more Christians. He is arrested by a light that shines down from heaven, and it knocks him from his horse to the ground. Uh, Like I said, I know there's a lot of powerful testimonies, but this is one of the most powerful testimonies that you will hear as this light knocks Paul to the ground. And he is confronted by a voice from heaven asking him, why is he persecuting the very God that he states that he serves? Very interesting as we look at that, that he thought he was doing God's work, and God tells him in, in no uncertain terms, you are working against me. And so Saul, as he is then known, is left blinded by this light, and he is led into the city of Damascus, the place where he was going to enter with force, the place that he was going to enter with with all kinds of demonstration. He now is calmly and and meekly led into that city of Damascus to wait. Uh, a, A disciple that's there in Damascus by the name of Ananias is spoken to by God, and he goes to Paul and tells him the new birth message, and and Paul receives a salvation experience through that witness of Ananias, and Paul begins to preach this Christian message right away. He doesn't wait for a while. He goes right away to preaching, right away. He goes to Jerusalem after a short time, and he is met with doubt, skepticism, and fear. This is the guy who has been imprisoning Christians. This is the guy who has been persecuting Christians. This is the one who has struck fear in the hearts of Christians all over the then known world. And now he is saying that he is one of them. They're worried that it's going to be a trick. Is it simply another ploy to get inside, to get to know who really is a Christian, and then begin to persecute and imprison Christians from the inside? He's well known, and nobody wants to be the fool to let him in. Nobody wants to be the one that lets Saul into the inner circle and then he creates havoc. But we find that as we are here talking about good friends, that it was two men, Peter and Barnabas, who really give Saul a chance. Two men that really didn't have to, they would have been uh, within their rights and nobody would have looked down on them if they hadn't done anything in regards to Saul. But they reach out, especially Barnabas, and they begin to give Saul a chance. And these two relationships stay with Saul, later Paul, throughout the rest of his ministry. We find encounters between Barnabas and Paul and Peter and Paul throughout the rest of his ministry. And these two relationships were pivotal in the formation of Paul and his ministry, that he could not have been the man that he was without these two relationships. And they also represent two aspects of friendship that we're going to look at today. And we're going to be covering In your books, we're going to be covering two lessons today. We're on um, faithful wounds, and then we'll be covering the next one as well. But the first aspect of friendship that we're going to look at today is found in Proverbs chapter 27. And it reads this way in verse 6. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. 
Now this is an interesting verse because it says, Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Now we all have different definitions of friendship and what friendship means in our life. But generally most of us don't put wounds in friendship in the same sentence. We would be very quick to say that a person who wounds you is probably not your friend. A person who uh, does something that we would consider to be hurtful in that way, we would not consider them a friend, really. Because none of us likes to be criticized. If you do, um, then line up after service, just come up here, and the rest of us will take out all of our critical thoughts on you. How about that? No. But there's not too many people who just like a good uh, criticizing. They don't... They, they, <laughs> We're all, we all want to give someone a piece of our mind, but there's not too many of us that like to receive a piece of someone else's mind. But So this is an, an interesting thing here because uh, the, the, the writer of Proverbs, Solomon, he tells us that receiving criticism from a friend is preferred to hearing it from someone who has little regard for our feelings. That he receiving criticism from a friend is better than hearing it from someone else who doesn't care or has little regard for our feelings. It's not easy to receive criticism even from a friend. I won't ask you if you receive criticism because I'm sure almost every person has received criticism of some sort or another, whether it was from a friend, an enemy, or someone that you just met and decided to criticize you. There may be increased tension in a relationship after one takes these liberties in offering a critique, but giving criticism to a friend or receiving criticism from a friend will test the depths of that relationship. Giving or receiving criticism from a friend will test the depths of that relationship. And I would say that this is not just true in our natural relationships, but this is also true in a spiritual relationship as well between us and God. Now, this is a one-sided thing because uh, it's not really, <laughs> I'm not encouraging you to criticize God. <laughs> so I'm not saying that your relationship with God is one of giving and receiving criticism. Although scripture does say to take all your cares to him, to take all your burdens to him. And so if there's things that you don't understand that you're unsure of, scripture is very plain in telling us that we need to take those to the Lord. But the depth of my relationship with, with another person, the depth of my relationship even with God, is am I willing to receive the criticism, the correction that is needed in my life? If we talk about this in a spiritual sense, we would call this conviction. Am I willing to receive conviction from the Lord? Am I willing to act upon conviction when it comes to my relationship with God? Because there's some of us that that is the be-all and end-all, is that we feel like we're going the right way, we're doing the right thing, and then all of a sudden the convicting power of God steps in, and we're confronted with a, a moment there that's really going to test the depth of that relationship. Am I willing to do what God has asked me to do? Am I willing to change what God has asked me to change? And in a natural relationship, am I willing to consider what someone else has said? And I think this becomes uh, uh, more and more of an issue as we don't feel like um, culture and society influences us, but I think that it does more than what we realize. I think it leaks into our beliefs in more ways than what we even would think. Because the mantra of a lot of people is, and they pull it from, they try to pull it from Scripture, is judge not lest you be judged. Who are you to say... That's what the world says, because everyone can live their life according to how they feel, right? That's what we're facing right now. Is we're fa that's the whole identity crisis, is that you are what you feel you are. That gets a little scary. 
In fact, this is going to end up in ways that we never even considered. I read an article uh, not too long ago that talked about people who are transabled. Transabled. This is a, a group of society that wishes and believes that they are handicapped. And they will do whatever they can to make themselves handicapped. One lady threw acid in her eyes because she felt like she should be blind. This other lady lives her life in a wheelchair even though she can walk and she's trying to find a doctor who will break her legs permanently. It's transabled, whatever you feel. That's nuts. That's, that's crazy. That's crazy that people would do that. But, and, and I'm not saying we go to that extreme, but some of that idea of no one can tell me who I am, what I am, how I feel, no one can judge any of that stuff, begins to leak into us even as Christians, and we begin to adopt the attitude that any criticism I receive puts that person in a negative light, should not be listened to, should be disregarded, and that person is just hurtful and mean to me. However, what we're looking at today and what we find in Scripture are faithful are the wounds of a friend. And that if I do not have people speaking into my life, then I'm probably in a dangerous place. Properly receiving and processing criticism can prove to be an opportunity for growth, both in personal development and in a strengthened friendship. While we all say that we want friends, while we realize that we need friends, what are we willing to do to strengthen those friendships in our life? And it's the proper reception and processing of criticism. How many of you have ever been uh, criticized by someone before and it hurt? Okay, it probably wasn't criticism if it didn't hurt. <laughs> but how many of you have got kind of upset? Oh, you don't have to raise your hand now. You can keep raising your hand. You've got kind of upset, and then as a little bit of time passed, you begin to think about it and realize there might be some truth in what they said. Uh, people have said things to me, and it wasn't even necessarily a friend, and, and it, it, it takes... It takes something to, to reach through all the stuff and find out and say, you know what, maybe there is some truth in there. I need to maybe implement that in my life. That's, 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 an important, that's a maturity thing. And you know what, if we are maturing to be more like Christ, then these are things that we need to work on. It's not just spiritual things, but it's these natural things as well. We can ask ourselves the question after we receive that criticism, is this true? Am I really guilty of this criticism? And perhaps I'm not as guilty as the person said, but is there any truth in there? And if we find ourselves in agreement with what the person has said, then we can begin to introduce changes into our behavior. You know, the interesting thing I find, and this is everybody, is that how many of you think you're perfect? <clears throat> okay, we know we're not perfect. How many of you like for people to point out your imperfections? See, we know we're not perfect, and sometimes if we were to ask ourselves, there are moments when we struggle to say, well, I know I'm not really good here, but to say that we have these glaring imperfections, sometimes we have trouble saying, yeah, I'm completely, I'm completely bad in this area. And so when people or God begins to speak to us and show these imperfections, we get upset even when we know we're not perfect. But sometimes when those things happen, we need to introduce changes to our behavior. And this is a chance for me to grow as a person and also for me to embrace the person who has done this and get, provide opportunity for growth within those friendships. According to Proverbs chapter 27, empty words and flattery are vain, according to Proverbs 27. Now, I know they may be empty. I know they may be vain, and those are you know, those are bad words. We don't want those. But if we're honest with ourselves, in the moment, they sound a whole lot better, and they feel a whole lot better. 
empty words and flattery, it feels a whole lot better for someone to butter you up than to criticize you, right? <laughs> Even if you know they're buttering you up. But we ha- because we have a desire. Every person has a desire to be affirmed. Every person has a desire to be complica- complicated. No, <laughs> complimented. <laughs> Some of us are just complicated on our own. We don't have a desire for it. But sometimes what we really need are the words of a true friend willing to speak truth into our lives. And what this verse challenges us is an injury received from an honest critique. It may be hurtful in the moment, but the lasting effect can be a healing salve. It can be something that can cure something that's wrong in our life. When a true friend sees through our false front and exposes our flaws, we have to choose how we're going to respond to that friend's correction. You see, that's really what it comes down to is that someone has seen through our carefully crafted wall or mask that we have put up. They have seen through uh, all of the stuff that we try to present to someone else, our reputation or whatever it may be, and they have seen through that and they're exposing something in our life, something that we may have been trying to hide from everybody else, but someone's seen it. And when that flaw is touched upon, in that moment we have to choose how we're going to respond to that correction. It's our choice how we respond when someone close to us provides correction. A true friend, a true friend will always have our best interest at heart. And we've already talked about friendship last week, but when we're looking at a true friend, they will always have our best interest at heart. There's an element of trust that comes with this. When we let people see inside of who we really are and speak into those areas of our life, a true friendship can really begin to develop. While criticism may cause us to question the loyalty of a friend, it may be helpful to understand that the motive of a true friend bringing correction is not to destroy but to add value to our lives. You know, we need each other. I mean, you've heard it preached many times, so we are part of the body of Christ, that he has uh, put us, he has fitly joined us together. He has put us together for a reason and a purpose. And, and sometimes the reason and purpose that you are here is to add value to my life by speaking into my life. And sometimes we look around and we think, well, I don't really know. We are here to put value into each other's lives. Now, that doesn't mean that that gives us liberty to walk around just looking for critical, just being critical of people and looking for things that are wrong. But when we understand that we are part of the body, that we are working together, that we are trying to achieve the same goals, we look to add value to one another. The other thing is to consider how difficult it may be for a friend to talk to us about a character flaw. It's not just an awkward conversation for the one receiving correction. In fact, if I was to be honest, because I've been lying, if I was to now be honest, I think it's harder for me to give correction than to receive it. Now, maybe you're different, but that's just me. I would rather take something that's wrong about me. It's not that I enjoy it, but I would rather do that than give correction to somebody else. But it's difficult for us to not just receive, but to give correction in somebody's life. But it becomes something that is important in a relationship. It develops trust. It, builds, uh, it, it helps a, a person build integrity in these things. It helps build the aspect that you can rely on this person, that there's loyalty in this relationship. Though it may be difficult sometimes to ask for help, our most valued resource is to request counsel from a friend. It's to request counsel from a friend. I, I, I'm not sure. There's people that feel different ways about asking for help. I'm not very good about asking for help. Uh, I don't know if that's a personality thing or if that's a male-female thing or, or what that is. Uh, but I, I always know where I am. <clears throat> Even if it's in a subdivision that I don't know where it is, 
I know exactly where I am. I don't need to ask anyone. But sometimes it's difficult to ask for help. Our most valuable resource, though, is to request counsel from a friend. Sometimes we need to hear a different perspective. This is very, very important. Because as we, there's a verse, and I've quoted it before, it says, every man is right in his own eyes. That means I've never made a wrong choice. (laughs) Never made a wrong choice. I'd be pretty dumb to be thinking, I'm making the wrong choice and go ahead and make it, right? If I say, I absolutely know beyond a shadow of a doubt, this is the wrong choice and I'm going to do it. No, you don't usually make a decision thinking it's the wrong choice. You make a decision thinking it's the right choice. Okay? But asking for counsel provides a different perspective to us. And when we ask for that counsel, when we talk to somebody about our situation and they provide a different answer to what we think is right, we have to be willing to accept that into our life and into our heart. Our one-sided view fails to give us the whole picture. How many of you have ever heard, you know, um, it's amazing uh, when you look because in a court, in, in a court setting, uh, an eyewitness is something that is highly valued. We have a lawyer here. And he's going to tell us how highly valued they are. No, I'm kidding. An, eye, an eyewitness is something that is, is important. If you have an eyewitness, you're like, well, that's open and shut case right there. But actually, if you look, one of the most unreliable things is an eyewitness testimony. Because everyone sees things differently. We're going to leave this service today, and there's going to be a variety of views about what you saw today. And you're going to think you're right, and I'm going to think I'm right, because it's what I saw. And you can't tell me what I saw and tell me any different. We're all going to have these differing opinions. And so in the same way, when I'm looking at my situation, I'm going to see it one way. And how many of you know when your kids come to you and you say, what happened? And you got more than one kid, you might hear more than one story. (laughs) Which one's lying? They both are. No. (laughs) Very often you'll find that there's this way and there's this way. And then really what happened is a third completely different way and in the same way when I look at situations I'm going to see things as I not even want to see them but I'm going to see things based on my perspective my worldview on on my experiences and so it's important for me to get input into my life because that doesn't mean that I have all experience I need to get perspective before I make decisions if we allow others to give us honest observation we get a broader perspective on our decision making and probably will make better decisions But again, if we ask for advice or counsel from a friend, you've got to be ready to receive it, even when it's not what you want to hear. (laughs) If we request honestly, we have to likewise be honest with ourselves to hear counsel that is contrary to our liking. Proverbs chapter 27 and verse 9 says, Perfume and incense bring joy to the heart, and the pleasantness of a friend springs from their heartfelt advice. That even if the advice is different, when I open myself up to receive honest counsel... That there's something, there's a liberty, there's this freedom, that there's a pleasantness that comes from it, but I'm also granting liberty for disagreement. Liberty for disagreement. (laughs) Um, I'll tell myself a little bit here. That liberty for disagreement. Do you know if things are agreeable all the time, that's probably not healthy. Somebody's probably burying their emotions, and it's all going to come out at some point. Now, when I was growing up, uh, when I was a teenager, so this is a long time ago now. I'm not this way anymore, hopefully. But I had a a good system for dating. 
a real good system. I like a good auction, and I like a good auction where I get things cheap, so this applies because I'm cheap. One of the first things you find out about a girl is her birthday, and you make sure that you don't date over Christmas, Valentine's, or her birthday. It saves you a lot of money. In fact, I once asked out a girl on February the 15th. That was, that was good. And you know what? When, you're, when I was dating, you know, you'd get in an argument about something, and I really didn't date through arguments. It's like, I know I'm just dating this girl. I really don't care about this argument. Let's just break up. I don't have the energy to argue with you. This is nothing. Let's just break up. Once you get over it, maybe we'll go back out again. I don't know. One of the ways that I knew my wife was the woman that I wanted to spend my life with is that I was willing to argue with her. The relationship was worth putting up with the argument because I wanted to be with her. That sounds really backwards and complicated, but, you know, I did say earlier some of us desire to be complicated. But when we open ourselves up for honest counsel, we're granting liberty for disagreement. That you know what, if I've got a true friend, we'll probably disagree sometimes. If I truly want advice from, from others, I've got to prepare, be prepared to hear their counsel. And when, we're ready, when we've already made a decision in a matter, there's no purpose in seeking counsel. I don't know how many times people say, you know what, I've made up my mind, this is what I'm going to do. And they've already made up their mind, what is the point of counsel? Just say, okay, okay. You're not here asking for counsel. You're here telling me what you want to do. Do it. There's, I, I'm not going to try and convince you different because you've already made up your mind. However, when we have a heart to hear, regardless of the position taken, we may find better alternatives in our decision-making process. How much better is it to be surrounded by friends who can debate, confront, and counsel rather to live in a small, viewed world where no one dares to disagree? I know sometimes, and I'm not saying we need to live our life in a constant state of conflict and turmoil, and that's not what I'm saying, but if I live my life in a, in a world and with friends and no one ever disagrees, there's probably an issue, and I'm probably not in the best path that I could be in. The wounds of our friends may well be our greatest influence for good and our greatest opportunity for success. We find both Peter and Barnabas had this role in Paul's life. Peter and Paul did not always agree. Barnabas and Paul did not always agree. In fact, some of the strongest conflicts you will find between uh, two humans are found in the, in the relationship between Peter and Paul and also Barnabas and Paul, that they confronted each other to their face. <laughs> that means it got pretty heated, pretty heated between Peter and Paul. And in fact, Barnabas and Paul, they got into a disagreement and it said their words became sharp, which it means that it started getting personal, that there was severe confrontation that happened uh, because of circumstances that were taking place. However, we have to understand that confrontation is not wrong when done correctly. When done correctly. That doesn't mean that I can walk around and say, well, I'm their friend, so I should be able to just spout off and tell them what they're doing is dumb and stupid and idiotic. No, that's probably not the right way to do it. One thing to keep in mind is to make sure we understand, are we both headed the same direction? Are we both heading to the same place? Because if we're both heading to the same place, that really begins to change things 
a little bit. That begins to change the situation that I'm not just in this trying to hurt someone, but no, we're working together. We care about each other. There is something there, but still it gives liberty to speak into their life. Closely tied with this idea of faithful wounds is another one that we find in Proverbs 27. It says in Proverbs 27, 17, iron sharpeneth iron, so a man sharpeneth the the countenance of his friend. Iron sharpens iron. We find Barnabas and Peter, this, this, uh, this, they fall into this role in Paul's life as well, especially Barnabas, not just with faithful wounds, but his iron sharpening iron. Barnabas is an interesting character in Scripture. He's known as the son of consolation or encouragement. That Paul, I mean, Barnabas was an encourager. He was someone that people wanted to be around, and he would encourage them, and he had a gift of reconciling people who had been at odds. He had a way, he was really the first one who took Paul in and brought him before the rulers of the church of that day. And he's the one who really brought him into reconciliation with them. And he had this way of speaking directly to people and bringing them together. He was uniquely gifted in this way. And this gift became most evident after the conversion of Saul. Saul of Tarsus was a strong man with a well-known reputation of being an enemy of the early believers. Everyone knew about Saul. Everybody knew what was going on. Saul had a struggle to become accepted after his conversion. People did not want to accept him, and we've already talked about it for the reasons why. Peter and other disciples of Jesus were unsure of the authenticity of Saul's conversion to Christ and his motives. Is he really doing this, or is it just something that's fake that he's just trying to get close to us? But there was... One man who was willing to listen to Paul, and it was Barnabas. He was willing to listen to Paul and his testimony, and then he not only listened, but he vouched for him to the rest of those in leadership. Barnabas was the one that brought them all together. Now this is a little bit different because as we look at iron sharpening iron, very often we look for people who are similar to us to befriend. We look for people that are just like us. Yet we see with Paul and Barnabas, we see... Two very different personalities somehow coming together. Paul is this headstrong, uh, uh, charismatic, bold, gathering people together leader. Barnabas is someone who's concerned about reconciliation and bringing peace. He's the son of encouragement. If you read Paul's letter, there's encouragement there, but there's also some pretty strong words in some of his letters. That he's concerned about approaching situations in a different way. When we only converse and have those around us who think and act the same way as us, the downfall can be that they never challenge our thinking. And all they do is condone our attitudes and actions because they have the same views and actions. Now, I think this is important for us today to realize as our society and culture becomes more and more polarized and we become more and more entrenched and encamped in certain areas that we only gather people around, we only listen to, we only receive information from those that are exactly like us. And when we do that, we, have the, we run the risk of only seeing things one way without ever considering there might be more than one way. Now, when I say this, I want you to understand I'm not talking about doctrine. I'm not talking about those things because that is settled. That's in the Word of God, and if the Word of God states it, then that's all I need to know. I don't, I don't have to listen to someone else's uh, opinion about that because the Word of God states it as fact. 
but there's other things that, that we can listen to, and that doesn't mean that we have to agree. That doesn't mean that we have to find approval or approve of their thoughts, and it doesn't mean that we say that it's right, but it doesn't hurt us to allow iron to sharpen iron in our life. What happens when iron sharpens iron? It gets sharper. It gets sharper. And if I'm trying to improve myself, if I'm trying to be better, then it might be important for me to stretch myself just a little Though we may have times of disagreements or misunderstandings, we can learn from our association with others. Excuse me. Sorry. I'm crying now. When I think about my associations with others, it brings a tear to my eye. The friction of adversity may actually deepen our friendship and strengthen our character when we have resolved our conflicts. Again, I don't agree with everyone that I'm friends with. In fact, I've had heated arguments with people that I'm friends with. And there's some things we've just agreed to drop because we just don't agree and we're not going to agree. You know, one of the, well, anyway, maybe I should or shouldn't. Uh, but there's this idea that when iron sharpens iron, there's, there's friction that takes place. Friction has positive and negative effects. Physics teaches the effects of friction in nature. When materials of similar high density are moved together in opposite directions, the resistance causes heat between them. There's a resistance that takes place. Sometimes we think all resistance is bad. Not all resistance is bad. Did you know that? <laughs> when you pull up to the stop sign, and resistance is good. When you put your foot on the brake pedal, that's good resistance. You want that. Have you ever been driving and you know you just got a little bit bored maybe and you thought, I wonder what would happen if my brakes just went out right now and kind of mapped a path? I don't know, maybe that's just me. <laughs> but when materials of similar high density are moved together in those opposite directions, resistance causes heat between them. The friction, though, can smooth rough places. It can create energy, it can provide traction for movement, or it can even in certain times slow us down in some areas. Whether this is a positive result or a negative outcome depends on how friction is viewed in our life. In today's environment, like I said, we're ever more in danger of isolation of ideas. The world is very solidly putting itself into camps based upon its ideologies, based upon its outlooks, and it is dangerous to become isolationist in our thinking. It is dangerous to not experience something else. In fact, perhaps, I, I know I'm not going to state political opinions here, but I had an interesting conversation with someone who was a Christian, and, and they felt like they could not, in good conscience, vote for Trump in the last election. It was an interesting conversation to have with someone of a differing opinion about who, how they voted because of their Christian beliefs. It was an interesting, I didn't, that doesn't mean that I agree or disagree with anything, but sometimes it's all right to expand our minds a little bit. Sometimes it's all right to push past our own viewpoint simply to hear someone else because it creates growth in my life. Again, whether that means that I stop or whether, whether that, what that friction does, that's up to me, but I have an opportunity to grow in some of these areas. And just because I hear someone else's viewpoints does not mean that I have to agree or convert to their ideas. You see, while this world, the, the, the watchword of the day is tolerance, 
and we think, man, tolerance because of how the world uses it has become this uh, Christian curse word almost now, tolerance that we're not going to tolerate at all. Just because I listen to someone else does not mean I have to accept their ideas. It does not mean that I have to agree with them. And I think we run a risk when we no longer hear any voices from outside even in our life. It causes growth in our life. When we simply gather people with the same ideas around us, there is no friction. There is no friction. Like I said, I have friends that I don't agree with on some things, and they don't agree with me on some things, and it creates friction. You know what it causes me to do? It causes me to reevaluate what I said and what I believe. And sometimes I've come to the conclusion that, yes, I think what I believe is right, but also sometimes it's caused me to think, you know what, maybe they're right. And it's all we, well, anyway. I'm, I'm walking on dangerous ground now. If I know I'm not perfect and I know everything I, that I believe may not be 100% correct, and I'm not, again, I'm not talking about things that are based completely on Scripture. I'm not talking about that. But we all have beliefs and opinions that go outside of the Word of God that we interpret in our own life. And I've had those change sometimes in my life. And if you have never had an opinion change in your life, then that probably needs to happen. How, how, do, how does this friction work? Friction can cause us to stop. Friction can cause us to quit going some way. That it, as we get in a conversation or begin to look at things with someone who thinks differently than us, friction can cause us to stop going down a path that isn't the right way to go. Friction can also cause sparks to fly. <laughs> can also cause sparks to fly. How do sparks work with friction? You rub two stones together, you strike a match, that's friction. It causes sparks to fly. I have to learn how to control the iron sharpening iron so that sparks don't fly everywhere and set something aflame. But to simply dismiss it is not right because Scripture tells me that iron should sharpen iron. We have to work together to figure out these things, to bring resolution rather than resentment. You know what's interesting? In Acts chapter 15, there is a council that takes place. The church is divided. Not a church, the entire church is divided. This is a big deal. There's about to be a split of the early church just a few years after the day of Pentecost. A major split between the Gentiles and the Jews. And so they call uh, a meeting together and they meet and talk about it. And there is heated debate. There is heated argument. There are people that stand up and, and speak very passionately about what they believe. But the best part of Acts chapter 15 and that council together is that they came together and they found resolution rather than resentment. Because there's too many times in our life that we back away or we do not engage in conversations or in, in, in topics and debates where really it's iron sharpening iron and it's there to sharpen us because we know that it will end in resentment and not resolution. But when I'm talking about the things of God, when I'm talking about things that are spiritual, when I'm talking about someone in, with someone in the body of Christ, then I need to make sure that my conversation ends with resolution and not resentment. I can't resent someone because of their beliefs. Friction can also smooth rough edges and sharpen a blade. When a knife is drawn across a whetstone or a device to sharpen it, the nicks on the blade are smoothed out. I've got a lot of nicks that need smoothed out. Rough spots are removed and the sharpening produces a cleaner cut. What may appear to be an abrasive irritation in reality is the very thing needed to refine our attitude and eliminate some of our imperfections. You know what changes things a lot is when I take blanket beliefs about something that I have no clue about 
and meet a person who fits under that. Now, I know that I'm trying not to be very specific there for a reason. But when I think this way about a certain kind of person or a group of people, and I really don't have much experience with them, and then I meet a person from there, you know what changes is I've met a person. I've met a person. And suddenly, my attitude begins to change. And some, some of my thoughts and resentments can begin to change. And you know what that's doing? That's eliminating some nicks and imperfections in my life. That if I'm honest with myself, are beliefs that aren't really that godly. Smooth surfaces rubbed together offer little resistance and generate minimal friction. Resistance increases between two rough surfaces. Passing two rough surfaces together is difficult It may become an impossible task. Not only is this true of physical elements, but it's also seen in our interpersonal relationships. Here we go. The rougher we are, the more we need association with others. The rougher we are, the more we need association with others. Paul was a rough guy. If you look in his his writings, that's Paul after he's been smoothed out. Paul, Paul gave someone over to the devil after he'd been smoothed out. Paul has some pretty strong words to say after he's been smoothed out. Imagine what he was like before. But someone joined with him, Barnabas, a son of encouragement, a son of reconciliation. I think it's no mistake that in 1 Corinthians we find that Paul gives someone's soul over to the devil. But then in 2 Corinthians, you know what he does? He says, reconcile that person. I think we can trace that all the way back to the effect of Barnabas in his life who helped smooth some of those edges out that Paul has some rough edges and Barnabas is willing to get involved with him is willing to be with him and as they compete against each other between reconciliation and this attitude of this is it and and there's no other way about it which seems to be Paul's personality it seems like there is something that takes place because he's associated with Barnabas Our rough edges are bruised and smoothed as we confront others with opposing convictions. When you do that, though, feathers may get ruffled. Ever had your feathers ruffled? Why you got feathers? No. Our feelings get unsettled during times of conflict. I've had conversations with people that, (laughs) well, you ever had a conversation with someone and then like an hour later you're still thinking about it and now you've realized what you should have said? However, this process may help us to see other points of view and bring about a change in our own mindset. While we are focusing on the positive outcome of friction, there are times when we recognize that some people are not friends at all and have no intention of changing their destructive behavior. That doesn't mean that I should constantly be looking to irritate somebody. It doesn't mean that I should constantly... There are moments when I realize that this is just friction and this person isn't going to change and their destructive behaviors are just that. There is a point when controversy and contentions become unnecessary distractions. Okay, So this is not an either-or. Very few things in life are an either-or. That you either have perfect harmony in your relationships or you're fighting with everybody. That's not what this lesson is about. This lesson is about is that there are moments when I do need to experience wounds from a friend. There are moments when I need iron sharpening iron. It's not that my life has to constantly be one of friction and hurt. In fact, Titus talks to us about this, that Paul points out that if divisive people refuse instruction and continue that cycle of conflict, we should warn them, and then after the second admonition, avoid them. 
That I don't just get in argument for argument's sake. That I don't just seek out conflict because I've got nothing better to do in my life today. Our friends may need our help to resolve some of their abrasive behaviors. That not only myself, but when I look towards my friends, I begin to see that maybe I've been put in their life to help them. We can all benefit from the differences of friends around us. We may become more understanding of others, more tolerant of opposing viewpoints. So we should not set out to confront every friend and expect everyone to conform to our views. Through conflict, we may find the need to change our thinking about a given situation. And as I finish up here today, I just want to mention something about as we talk about friends, the danger of isolation. There's different personalities. There's personalities that recharge by being around a lot of people. There's personalities that recharge by separating themselves. In fact, Jesus himself, when he was tired, when he was worn out, he would separate himself from the crowd. He would many times even separate himself from his own disciples, those that were closest to him. He would isolate himself. So isolation is not wrong. Separating yourself is not wrong. There are times that we need to do that. There are times of introspection. And if you don't ever have times of isolation, you probably should. Because people can be a distraction to what really needs to happen in your life. That's to those that need people to recharge. Sometimes you've got to be by yourself because it's when we're uncomfortable that actually a lot of change takes place in our life. Jesus, he would separate himself, but when he separated himself, we find that there was something that happened when he was isolated by himself. We find the first time that Jesus isolates himself, he goes and fasts for 40 days, and Satan comes and tempts him, but he leaves the desert having overcome Satan. We find that he would go to mountaintops or desert places and he would leave uh, and go to those places. He would be tired, but he would come back rested and restored. He would come back strengthened. From those times of isolation, Paul separates himself for three years and we find that he comes back strengthened and restored. Let me just tell you that if your isolation is not doing those things, get out of your isolation. If your isolation is not helping you overcome situations, if it's not restoring your strength, if it's not strengthening you in some way, you need to get out of your isolation. I know that Adam and Eve, we read that story that God uh, created Eve to be a helpmate to him, but that is not the only helpmate. God created humanity to be in interaction with one another, to have relationships with one another. And I'm going to tell you right now that if you do not, and if you do not have relationships within the body of Christ, and you just say, that's not my personality, that's not who I am, you were not created to be an isolationist. You were created to be with other people. And you can't play that off as personality or different things because isolation is a very dangerous spiritual place to be because of the things that we've talked about, because nobody has a voice in your life, because nobody is able to speak to you, because nobody is able to reach into your decisions and things that are happening in your life. Isolation is a very, very dangerous place to be. And I would encourage you today, I would challenge you today, that if you find yourself in that place, in that situation where you do not have outside people that speak into your life that you are friends with, this is just a, a message about friendship. If you don't have people that you count as friends and that can also speak into your life, you need to do that. And I think we can pull it out of Scripture pretty plainly that it's not biblical to live my life that way. It's not just you and Jesus. It's not. 
Scripture tells us very plainly, if you want to see someone's love, then you look at how they treat one another. And if there's no one in your life to treat that way, then people can't see your love for God. We find the prophet Elijah, he went into isolation at one point. Because if you're not entering into isolation to overcome, to be rested, to strengthen yourself, this is how you're going to enter into isolation as the prophet Elijah did. He entered it pouting. He said, God, I'm the only one left. God, there's nobody who will do anything. God, there's nothing. I'm going to die. There's... You see, that's the dangerous kind of isolation. Because all of a sudden we find ourselves not being strengthened. We find ourselves sinking into a deeper despair. And that's where the enemy can come in. And because you're isolated can begin to destroy you in your life. Because your view is right now. There's no other view there. This is important. And this is important for people who aren't people people. To realize that you cannot live your life in isolation. That you have to pull yourself out. You have to, and it, for those who are people, people, you need to find moments of isolation. You need to find times apart. But we have got to incorporate ourselves into the body of Christ. That means I've got to participate in things. Well, let's see. What time is it? How much time do I have to dig a hole? Two minutes. Well... Lord Jesus, let the medicine work. If there's a fellowship event at church, you need to be at it. You know why? Because you weren't created to be in isolation. If there's something where we're all gathering together, you need to be there because you're part of the body of Christ. You're not some arm flapping around over there. That's not part of the body. I'm not saying you have to show up for every single thing that the church does, but you can't sit around and say that nobody cares and nobody understands and you don't show up to anything. That's where you develop relationships and that's where care and understanding take place. Okay, so if you're showing up for stuff and you say no one cares, that's fine, but you, this is scripture right now. This is not my opinion. This is scripture. A man that hath friends must show himself friendly. That's Bible. That's not, a, that's not a pithy little saying like cleanliness is next to godliness. That's not in Scripture, okay? Despite what my parents said to me. So I haven't bathed in three days. That's Scripture, though. A man that hath friends must show himself friendly. Nobody cares. Nobody. You need to get yourself with the body. How does your body work? Your body restores itself. I've got sinus stuff going on and I've been taking some medicine, but you know what? There's things in my body working right now to fight what's taking place within my body. If there's something wrong in you, you don't need to isolate yourself. You need to get yourself to the body because the body is where restoration happens. It's where it occurs. I've got to be part of the body. It's not just about, well, I don't know. This is important for your health. Don't isolate yourself. There's been times I've said, man, I wish I could just cut all my sinuses out and just throw them away. Then I met a man who didn't have a nose, and I'm not kidding, that's not a joke. <laughs> but you know what, that's not the way to fix it, it's to isolate the thing. No, that's not how we do it. 
The body is supposed to heal each other. So I'm telling you right now, if you find yourself in a spot that's heading towards isolation or you are in isolation, you need to get yourself in the body, a part of the body, whatever that means. And I'm not talking just about prayer and things like that. I'm talking about get to an event, get to something the church is doing because you're going to find something there that you didn't realize was there no matter what your personality is. God knows your personality and he knows everyone else's personality here. And guess what? He put you with them and he put you with them for a reason because they they can help you, and you can help them. All right, let's all stand. My word, I wasn't supposed to say all that. Amen. I want us to pray this morning that the Lord would help us in our relationships because God has put me in relationships to help me grow closer to Him, that the Lord would lead me and guide me, that He would help me to understand that I'm part of of a body. Let's join together in prayer. Lord Jesus, we come before you. I'm thankful to be here in your presence in your house. And Lord, I pray that you would lead us and guide us. You see uh, all the various things going on in our life. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to realize that you have put us in your body. Lord, that you have uh, given us each other for a reason. And sometimes it may not be the most pleasant thing, but faithful are the wounds of a friend. And I have to understand that sometimes I need iron to sharpen iron, that there may be friction in my life. But Lord, help me to deal with those things in a spiritual way. Help me to deal with those things things in a right way, God, because I know that growth can happen. And Lord, I want to keep growing closer to you, God. I want your mind. I want your will. I want your purpose, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you for being here in Sunday school. And we'll start our main service here in just a few moments.